Welcome to the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. I'm Jim Gallagher, Jr. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And special thanks to Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music. You can find Steve at steveazar.com. Don't forget to get your copy of Only One Shot by B.J. Trollio. That's available on Amazon. Today I have former Alabama All-American Cheyenne Knight on the podcast. She won the 2019 Volunteers of America for her first LPGA win, and it was the very last event of the season, needing a top five to keep her card. So great story there. She continues to improve on the LPGA. And I can't wait for you all to hear her story and her journey to the LPGA. All right, I want to welcome Cheyenne Knight to my podcast. Uh, so glad to have you with us today, Cheyenne. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, it's uh, I've known you, watched you play in college at Alabama. Tennessee guy can't say that quite with it coming off our you know tongues that well, but uh, big fan of yours. Uh, but who got you kind of started playing in this great game? My dad got me started um, around. I was around nine years old, and he played golf too. So he took me out to the golf course, and we both hit balls. And I started really getting serious when I was like twelve or thirteen, and started playing in the AJGA, um, some of the Texas like Junior Golf Tour, and that's when kind of college golf started to get on my radar. Well, there's so many really good players in Texas. That had to be fun to play against some of the best players in the country, but also that tough competition. What did you learn from that? Uh, those times playing junior golf? Yeah, um, there was a lot of tournaments that you could play in Texas, just so many different tours, and just honestly, like, chances to play. Um, and, like, playing against really good competition. Like, I wasn't one of the best junior golfers, so just, you know, like always learning and, you know, not always winning, but um, just seeing like how I stacked up to those good players um, definitely helped to see where I was at. And I think just playing competitive golf is like the best thing you can do rather than just hitting balls on the range. So you like the competition. You got to practice them, but you're kind of, I kind of was always one that liked to play. I felt like I learned more from playing than just sitting there hitting, beating balls unless you really had a reason to be doing it. So it sounds like, you know, the competition kind of got you motivated, especially playing against so many good kids, and you were learning and getting better, and I think that's the most important part. Yeah, because you can hit, you know, 10 perfect seven irons on the range, but under pressure and um, you know, if you're one back of the lead or just like there's a lot of different scenarios when you're um, on the course competing. So it's a totally different mindset. So you you said you start showing some improvement in junior golf. You played AJGA at a bunch of tournaments in Texas. You know, what advice do you have for the young boy or girl out there that might be going through that right now, trying to figure out where to play? Uh, do they stay locally? Do they play nationally? What kind of advice do you have for them and, and even their parents? Yeah, so I did a lot. I think, like, in junior golf, we were chasing, like, the AJGA. They used to be called Stars. I don't know what they're called anymore. So I would play tournaments locally in Texas that were worse, AJGA Stars, so I could hopefully get into a tournament. So I did a lot of those. And just kind of, I placed it, like, courses that I wanted to go play or that were close to colleges, just, uh, hopefully, like, a college coach would be out there, and I did a lot of, you know, the AJGA qualifiers, and as I started playing better in the AJGAs, just the invitational things. So, I think just having a game plan, um, of course, you, of course, like, if you feel like you need to play a tournament, 
um, to get ready for, you know, a bigger one. I think that's always good to just see where you're at. But um, just always have a goal if it's for the AJGA or if you want to make your state team or uh, stuff like that. But I think I played in a lot of tournaments to get ready for the bigger tournaments. I did a lot of, like, U.S. girls stuff to in order to play against, like, the best in the country. Well, and for the parents out there, this is not a cheap uh, venture. I mean, you got to have a – probably have to have a budget of some form, too, to kind of – because it can get away from you. It's pretty expensive traveling to all the different tournaments. So for parents out there, you've got to have that kind of game plan. But you mentioned colleges, and you were starting to get looked at. What schools did you look at, Did you and where did you visit? I visited, I kind, I'm from Texas, so I kind of drew a line um, in the south because I didn't want to go up north because <laughs> I like to play all year round, but I visited all the schools in Texas, um, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, LSU, Alabama, uh, Arizona, and Arizona State, and my top three were Alabama, Arizona, and LSU. And so why did you pick Alabama? What was the final kind of deciding point for you to go to Alabama? So in 2012, I was a freshman in high school, and I saw Brooke Pancake uh, make the putt for Alabama to win the national championship, and I knew nothing about Alabama at the time, only football. <laughs> so I, I was like, that, that looks like a good school to go to. Um, so that like, started to get on my radar, and followed the team the next season and played really well. So that was um, kind of my, uh, I just, you know, I wanted to be on a team that was competitive and that was always going to be in the mix and be on a team with uh, really good players I could learn from as well. So what was that first year like? That had to be a big adjustment because, you, like you said, you really didn't know much about Tuscaloosa. You've moved away pretty good distance from home. But what was that first year like for you? At first, it was hard just getting adjusted to the just the college schedule. I mean, you have class, workouts, practice, and just trying to balance it all was hard for me. Um, and I was homesick, but I I loved Alabama. I loved the team, and it was hard. Just I mean, I wasn't the I was a good junior golfer, but I wasn't. You know, the top 10 AJGA, like my ranking was, I don't even think, in like the top 20. So I didn't even know if I was going to make the traveling team. But, you know, I was up to the challenge and I um, I wanted to be pushed um, to become the best player that I could be. So I remember my first, um, you know, college qualifier. I was so nervous. I think I tripled the first hole. <laughs> I was in tears and... So uh, it definitely like made me stronger. But my freshman year, I always tell people was like the turning point for me. That's when I started to have this self belief and confidence in myself that I could go to the next level. Because like that year, I won National Freshman of the Year, first team All American um, as a freshman. So that was when. I started to really develop. You mentioned being homesick. What advice do you have for kids? Because everybody's going to be homesick. I remember even Mary Langdon, my oldest, went to Mississippi State. She's an hour and a half away. I mean, it's not like she was going to Pluto. But, uh, you know, what advice do you have for the kids out there that might get homesick? How do you kind of get through that? I think just telling yourself that it's normal to feel that way. You don't 
because a lot of people feel that way. You're not the only one. So, um, and just, I know, I just totally feel like just open up that you're homesick. And, um, like, my coaches and teammates helped me with that. And and just know it gets better. Like, I, I remember I wanted to go home so badly, but then after that I couldn't wait to go back to school, so it definitely gets easier. Yeah, you just had to kind of admit that you were homesick and get over that. But also... Uh, my girls, uh, my wife played at LSU, and she was in a sorority. She was a Kyo, and she just felt like that was a real important part of college for her, especially going away like she did from Greenwood, Mississippi, small little town, the big Baton Rouge. And part of the process for my girls was to, to join a sorority. You were also in a sorority, but a lot of coaches are against that. But, you know, I felt like if you're homesick, that's a good way to meeting some other people because you want to meet other people on campus other than the 10 people you're on a team with, don't you think? Yes, I totally agree. That was uh, something that I did. I rushed my sophomore year just because after my freshman year, I knew I realized like, personally I needed you know, some other friends outside the athletic department and just some people that were – quote-unquote normal, that's what we call people in Alabama who were the normal people. So, yeah, and just having someone, you know, you can relate to, not based off of, you know, your golf score, but just on a personal and deep level um, was really important to me and met just amazing people through that. So I, yeah, I think a lot of coaches are against it because they think it's a distraction and, you know, you're there to play golf or you know, do whatever, but, um, I think if you just, you know, like, like talk openly to your coaches about why it's important to you, I think then that's great. Yeah. I think for, I agree. I think they think there's a distraction. You can't handle it all, but it just kind of gives you that sense of peace. I know it was for my girls and some of their best friends are the girls they were in sororities with their, uh, Kyos, Kathleen's, you know, when they both got married in Mary Langdon, those girls were all in their wedding. Those are great friends because, you know, when you're in a, in, in, as a kid, you, you are like in a small town. Those are your friends you have to be friends with. But when you go to college, you've got to make friends, and those are the ones you choose to be friends with. So I think that was part of it. And plus the sororities, man, they're tough on their on their grades academically. They do a lot for the, uh, uh, the community. So it's not a big frat house like everybody thinks it is. It's a, there's a lot of good things that sororities have to offer. Uh, and, and if most kids that play college golf can handle that because it's all about time management. If you can't handle it, then it's time to drop it. But uh, I agree. I think it was a good thing for them. It was a good thing for you. But you mentioned your coach, Mick Potter. He coached at Furman, some great players. What influence and how did he impact your career as you continued on at Alabama? Mick is one of my favorite people. Um, I... Mick reminded me a lot of my dad when it comes to my golf game. And Mick is um, very blunt, brutally honest, which I think is, like, the most important thing. Um, Like, just to be with your golf game, because you can say, oh, I'm hitting it great, but you're really not. Um, But Mick is very level-headed, and we... You know, I told him, like, my freshman year, I was like, I want to be an All-American. I want to win. I want to I want to win and compete, and I want you to help me into the best player I can be. And so I, one story that I think just 
describes Mick. Um, Haley was to me when my freshman year we played LSE's tournament and no, I'm sorry, not LSE's, um, Tulane's tournament in New Orleans mm-hmm. and we played terrible. Like the whole team played terrible and I played awful. I was like sculling chips back and forth across the green. And so a few days later we had a meeting and Nick's like, what did you think about the tournament? And I was like, well, I putted awful and my chipping sucks. And he's like, yeah, it does. It's really bad. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know it was bad, but him just being like, no, being like, it's okay. Right. You know, like, you'll get better. He'd be like, no, it's really bad. So he's like, okay, I'm going to do, you know, we'd set up a game plan. We're going to do this and this and this every day until our next tournament uh, in Hilton Head. And I won the next tournament in Hilton Head. And we just, you know, we worked on my chipping, my putting, and what I needed to improve on instead of just moping about it. Like, I got better that two weeks I had and then won the next tournament. So, and that was my first, like, individual win. But I think Meg just, you know, and especially what helps me now in professional golf, like we always had a game plan and always tried to find something to improve on and play to my strengths. And he helped me realize what Cheyenne Night Golf is, and that's hitting a lot of fairways on the green. And I'm a good putter, so I don't need to be anyone else. But just, um, you know, being honest and what I need to improve on and, um, accept it and get better. That's great advice. And I think the, the biggest thing you said is being brutally honest. I think that's important for an instructor. Hal Sutton was on my podcast uh, a few weeks ago, and that's what he said. He said, you don't want someone to test there and tell you what you want to hear. Sometimes you have to be told something no. you don't want to hear, and that's the only way you're going to get exactly. better. And I think that was very good advice on Mick's part. But uh, you also got to play on the Volunteers of America as a college player on the LPGA and made the cut. Uh, I actually was calling that uh, week, and that was pretty cool. But what was that experience for you? And it kind of gave you an idea of what it might be like to play on the LPGA. Right. That was my freshman year as well. So I, you know, they had a college qualifier and qualified for that. And I remember um, that tournament was like the week before regionals. So Honestly, the LPGA tournament wasn't even on my radar. We were just getting ready. We just won SEC. We were getting ready for regionals, and we were hosting at Shoal Creek. So it was kind of right in between, and, you know, I was playing well, and um, it was just, I mean, it like right when I played that tournament was like right in the middle of, me realizing like oh I think I might want to play on the LPGA or that I'm good enough so um they there were two cuts that week um Friday and Saturday so making both of those and finishing I think in the top I don't know 40 um I got to see the both players play for the first time because I've never been to an LPGA tournament I was not I mean they never played in Texas mm-hmm. um before that growing up so that was the first time I actually got to see them play. And it was just such an amazing experience seeing, you know, how they controlled and handled themselves under different situations. And I loved the crowd and, you know, being announced on the first tee and just that whole environment. So after that was when 
you know, LPGA and like turning professional came became on my radar. Yeah, you mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, turning pro, but you left school a year early. What went into that process uh, uh, to go ahead and turn pro with one year left of eligibility? So Nick can attest to this. I, it's not for everyone because mm-hmm. um, professional golf is so different, so different than you know, college golf. So after my um, sophomore year, I was ranked in the top five in college golf individual rankings. And so that gave me an exemption into second stage of Q school. And there's three stages of LPGA Q school. And if people don't know this, like you can go straight to the LPGA, like through Q school. It's not like Corn Ferry or Canada. Like you can't go straight to the PGA tour. You got to go through the mini tours, but LPGA, you can go straight to the big league. So I, I thought I needed to take to go to Q school and get that. So like during my junior year, like I was like, this is an opportunity I can't pass up. And a lot of people told me, you know, like the tour will always be there. But I just felt pressured, not by anyone, just like by my like just through my own thinking that oh, I need. I need to go to Q school right now. Like I need to, it's an exemption, you know, whatever. So I went to Q school. I got through second stage and I opted not to go to third stage. Um, so I could play Symmetra tour first. So I knew like either way I was going to go back to Q school. Cause that's what everyone my age was doing. Like, Oh, if you weren't go- like if people didn't go to Q school when I did, they were going to go the next year and try to get to the LPGA and, it was so you know i did that i graduated in three years and i went to the symmetra tour but as soon as um but then they changed the rule the next year as you were in the top five you got to go to the final stage of q school which i don't think you need you can't give a 20 year old girl that option to like i just you're the whole it's like my the whole um like thing I take away from that, you can't give a twenty or twenty one year old girl that choice that's gonna like ruin or kinda ruin her life in a way. Like if you don't get if golf doesn't work out and you didn't get a college degree, you know, what are you gonna do like with your life? So I don't and they still do that. Now they changed it back where top five go goes into second stage, but at the time I had no idea you know, what going to Q school meant. Right, you're young. It's a tough decision. You're, I mean, it's a big decision in your life. It affects everything you're doing. You're still trying to learn about yourself and just your golf game and just being on your own. That's a big decision to make, and I think that's what a lot of kids have had to go through, and they make they get all the way to the finals. Now they got to make the decision, do I leave college, do I do all those things? And, and I, I think that's, that's the difficult part of it. I, I think for me it was easier. I wanted to finish school, get my degree, and, and then we went straight to tour school. But for a lot of players now, you're seeing it. They take that chance of, hey, if I get all the way to the finals, I might get my card, and they leave school early. It's tough on college coaches too. Uh, so that's a, it's a, yeah, it's a like, tough thing because they're recruiting kids for the three or four years, and all of a sudden a kid leaves after two. It's right. a big deal on, on their recruiting. Oh. Yeah, and just to kind of put things into kind of perspective. So in 2018, that's when – I turned pro in that summer. I played Symmetra Tour, and I went to 
final stage to get my LPGA tour card. And there were probably three or four girls there that I played college golf with that, you know, were the top five in the college ranking. So since they changed it that that year, they started at final stage of Q school. And so here they are still amateurs in college golf. You know, if they don't get their card, they're still fine. They can go back to school or if they get their card, great. But then there's me where I'm playing for my life now. I'm playing. So it was just, again, someone asked me, I was like, you know, the college players, they have everything to gain. They really have nothing to lose. If they, you know, play terrible, oh, it's okay. You can try again the next year. You still have a scholarship waiting for you. You can still be on your team. But for me as a professional at that point, I had, like, I I needed to get my card or or I was going to be back playing on the mini tour Mm -hmm. again. So it was just like... And it's not, it wasn't, it wasn't fair to me when I, there's all these professional golfers. And then, you know, I mean, there were, there's technically like 20 full cards and you have five girls that have a totally different mindset that week. Yeah, they're so, playing with freedom. Um, it just, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big deal. And I think they're trying to do what is best, but you hit exactly what I wanted to talk about is like, there's a big difference playing it going as a college player playing on the, at a pro event or going to Q school than being now a professional and making it as a professional. That's yes. a lot of pressure. Uh, but you mentioned, you know, you went back to tour school, you were 27th at Q school. So now you've got conditional and uh, status. And I remember you were trying to decide, all right, if I get a tour event, I should play. But I want to keep playing the Symmetra Tour because I could get my card that way. That's a tough decision for, for a player. And I've seen a lot of them do it. I saw Allie McDonald go through that. Uh, several other girls that I know and, and ladies that I know playing went through that same thing because you've kind of got split, but you can really only focus on one. I know that's the, and that's another thing that's a problem with the glamorous key school. They tell you, oh, there's 45 cards. Well, there's only, there's a lot more conditional status than full status. And you kind of have to pick one or the other. And I took a gamble and in 2019, my priority number was 155. And, you know, everyone tells you if you just Monday qualify and make the cut and make some paycheck, you're going to reshuffle. Well, that's a lot harder yeah, it sounds. than, than mm-hmm. it seems. Yeah, because Monday qualifying is extremely hard. And then making the cut, I mean, because in the back of your mind, there is that pressure like, oh, I need to play well so I can reshuffle. So I went to Australia mm-hmm. and I did um, like the Monday qualifier there and I got into the Vic Open and I missed a cut. So, you know, that's an extensive trip for nothing essentially, but good experience. And then I tried to qualify for the Australian Open and didn't. So came back home, went and played a and then went all the way out to Phoenix to Monday qualify. And I Monday qualified, shot 63, and then I ended up making the cut. And that helped me with the reshuffle and, like, get into the events the rest of the year. But you're starting behind the eight ball. Um, and, I mean, your rookie year, you're just trying to get adjusted. And keeping your card your rookie year is, like, extremely hard just because you don't know how many starts you're going to get. 
you know, not in the majors like the other. Yeah, girls. that's that's a lot of pressure, and I, I remember you going through that. I remember, you know, watching talking to your mom, watching you have to try to Monday qualify it, and it is it's difficult. Scores are low. A lot of girls and, and gals trying to make it. I mean, there's not just. You know, there's some younger kids trying to play too. There's all kinds of different people trying to to play and, and trying to get out there. It's a it's a dream of everybody, but the Monday qualifying is a tough way of going through it. Uh, but like you said, 2019. I remember <clears throat> we were at the Brickyard Crossing, and it was towards the end of the season, and and you were kind of a little bit down, and we just were talking about expectations and just had a nice little chat there, and uh, you know you had a pretty decent season for playing basically part time. But you only had one event left, and that was going back home to the Volunteers of America in Texas. Uh, uh, what was the pressure like knowing you only had one event, maybe to kind of get your full status like as you go into that final week? Yeah, I think I honestly, I remember I, remember I was talking at Indianapolis, and I think the whole year I was so stressed um, up until that point, knowing like, oh, my gosh, I need to make the cut. Well, keeping your card is a lot more than making the cut. Like, that was just all my mind was on. Like, you need to finish, you know, mm-hmm. pretty well. You need to make a good amount of money to keep your card. And so that last tournament, it was, like, all or nothing. I needed a top five to keep my card. And so I felt like the pressure was off because the whole year I was, you know, I was down on myself. I wasn't, you know... I was kind of questioning if I belonged out there and, you know, finishing like 60th or 50th every week doesn't do a lot for you. And so that whole, like in at the volunteers of America, I, I remember I had like really no nerves just because it didn't matter if I finished 20th or 30th or if I missed the cut, like I needed to try to win. And so it was the first time I actually like played within myself and, um, because I really had nothing to lose, and that's like I feel like that's the mindset you should have all the time. You know, every time you tee it up, you should think you have a chance to win. So that was the first week I did that, and this is such a huge learning experience. Yeah, he had a sense of peace uh, and, and freedom. I think that's why he played well. I think he, yes. we all strive to get to that. I think expectations, and that's what you know. There's a lot of kids out there listening that have these expectations, whether it's from their parents or themselves. And they can strangle you if you're not careful. Uh, but how do you kind of get rid of oh, those yeah. expectations, or especially the personal ones that you put so much pressure on yourself? How do you kind of keep that out of your way when you're trying to, to play well and win tournaments? Yeah, I, I'm i going to, you know, quote Nick Saban, but it's so true. It's all about the process. And, you know, every time I remember in college as well, I – I wanted to win, and sometimes you get so absorbed in that, you know, only focus on winning, or for me, like, my rookie year was keeping my card where I didn't, you know, play shy and I golf, I didn't play within myself, and I didn't enjoy playing. Mm-hmm. I feel like when you get so caught up in the results and the accolades, um, you don't play truly for, like, the love or the joy you have for the game, so that's you know, I feel like, you know, what I do and hopefully like some kids can take this away is like, I play for that little girl when I started playing golf when I was nine years old and you need to like remember and think back like how far you've come and you know, why do you play golf? Are you playing it for your parents? Are you playing it for your coach? 
it's like you need to play, you know, for yourself. And, you know, I play, uh, you know, I believe God has given me this ability to play golf, so I play for him as well. But, you know, just really um, have an attitude of gratitude and just realize, like, so many people would love to be where you are. Your parents have, you know, sacrificed a lot, a lot of money towards you achieving your dreams. So, um, you know, just always keep things into perspective and, like, just, you know, in the process of, you know, appreciating those low points is, you know, being honest with yourself and knowing that you're going to come out on the other side stronger and better. So just, and, I mean, golf is a crazy game and just realizing that it's not all happy and all good times all the time but um but there's but they're there for a reason it's to make so better. well said i mean you've said a lot of great things but that that last segment may be some of the best stuff you said and i think how set and put it best it's your own personal journey and you got to make it your journey not yeah. somebody else's uh we've seen them all go through that we've seen the greats the jordan Spieths. you know we've seen so many players go through that ups and downs and that's part of it and when you win you win and when you lose you learn and if you don't learn anything, then you're in yeah. trouble. Uh, and I think that's that's exactly. such a big thing. So take us through that last couple holes. You're at home. You've got a chance to win. How did you not get ahead of yourself there knowing what was at stake? And just that dream of all the hard work, as you mentioned. I was a nine-year-old girl out there with my daddy playing. What were those emotions like? And what was it like maybe that last hole or two coming down the line that when you finally got that first win? Yeah, I um, I remember like kind of before that last round, I kind of like mentally um, with how I have a sports psychologist, so we just kind of talked about what I was going to feel. You know, I was gonna feel mm-hmm. nervous. I was gonna feel, you know, those butterflies, but to just like not let the moment be bigger than itself, and to I. I think it's best, like, when you're feeling something on the golf course, it's better, like, for you to just acknowledge it. And so I, like, those last few holes, I remember I was, like, I am nervous. But I, and I just, like, I remember I was praying. I was, like, Lord, like, just help me, like, enjoy this experience. And I remember, like, walking down, like, 16, 17, being, like, this is awesome. Like, being in the hunt, you know, being in the lead, whatever, like, this is why I practice. This is, like, this is, this is awesome. So just loving, like, every moment of it, not, I mean, because you kind of feel like you're going to throw up <laughs> every stop, but just. awesome. <laughs> I, I, I remember I, like, read, like, Daniel Berger when he won at Pebble being, like, winning a golf tournament is, like, the constant feeling of, like, you're going to mm-hmm. throw up. And it is, but I just. Just embracing the moment, and I remember I told my caddy, I was like, um, I, I remember before we teed off, I was like, I'm going to be nervous today. I need you to just talk to me, and so I don't get really quick. I just, you know, take my time, and I breathe, and I remember walking down 17, and we're talking about Alabama football, and so, um, and I didn't look at a leaderboard oh, you didn't. Uh, until uh, I didn't, I never looked at a leaderboard that day. And I think, I don't know if that helped or anything, but I just was so in the moment myself. 
and was playing within myself. But I remember on 18, after I, like, lagged my putt up there, like, two and a half, three feet, I asked my caddy, I said, what, what score am I at? He's like, you're at 18 under. I said, okay, like, what second place? He said, 16. So that's when I knew I could two-putt the two, three-footer. But I um, I was just so I, – I didn't even know what I was shooting that day just because I was just enjoying the moment. So that was that was really important for me. And, um, like, when I – especially when I won and uh, – when I lost in a playoff in Scotland mm-hmm. last year, there were no leaderboards on the golf course until 17. But I had no idea where I stood the whole day. But I still had, like, kind of the same mindset. You know, I was enjoying, you know, being in contention even though I didn't know where I stood. Um, and so that you got to enjoy competing. You were in the zone, girl. You didn't even know it. <laughs> that's what that's what yeah. it's that's the description of the zone and uh that's awesome that's interesting you didn't look at a leaderboard because some people do some people don't some people can't handle the the nerves yeah. or whatever but what have you learned about yourself in these last two or three years on the lpga oh let's see i when i first started uh like professional golf and my first year on the lpga i was just a scared, intimidated, frail little girl. But now that I, I mean, every, just just the growth that I've had, I kind of see myself as, you know, one of the up-and-coming players on the LPGA. I see myself as, you know, one of the best players that, and I want to be, I want to be in contention Mm -hmm. every week. That's what's fun, uh, you know, and, but I, you know, I, I'm proud of how much I've grown mentally and, you know, all the hard times that I've been through, it's made me a lot stronger. And I just, it's sometimes that, you know, like two weeks ago, I didn't play very well at Lake Mona, but, um, like, you know, just, I was honest with myself and still honest with myself and trying to improve and, and just like, just like, I've always, especially when I wasn't happy at like Nona, how I played, I kind of just looked back and see how far like I've come. And, um, it's cool. Like seeing people look up to me and also me being friends with people that I used to look up to on tour. So it's been a good couple of years. You feel like you belong. And I think that's what you, that's when you get that sense of peace and you're able to play at freedom. But you mentioned improvement. What do you Mm -hmm. think you have to improve to continue to be, I know you're close in those Solheim Cup rankings. I know you'd love to be part of that, but what do you need to improve to to keep winning uh, on a very competitive LPGA? Because there's a lot of good players uh, out there, and you're one of them. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to win out here, but I think one thing I need to just continue to improve on is uh, my greens and regulation. A little bit more of my ball striking. I've Recently switched coaches in January to Randy Smith in um, Dallas, and so he's really helped me a lot. And so we're just continuing to understand my golf swing better and what makes me successful. So, you know, I <laughs> how do you make birdies? You hit green. Mm-hmm. So I, um, that's a big part of it. But just um, continuing, you know, Missing it in the right spot. Just say, I mean, if you can stay one one stroke around, 
how like that I mean that makes such a huge difference so just uh, continuing to kind of just look at my game as a whole and you know, keep playing Cheyenne night golf, but, you know, just trying to get a little bit better. Well, you got a good one in Randy Smith. He's caught, taught, taught a lot of good players. He's been there, done that, and that's a good guy to have on your side. But uh, uh, what's up next for you, and what are some of your goals for the rest of the season? San Diego, and then we go to A&A, our first major of the year. And just some of my goals, uh, making Solheim Cup is a huge goal, but um, – and I think, like, goals are very – just very like how people set their goals are very interesting and um you know i of course people want to win and i think uh obviously that's one of my goals but one thing that you know me and my sports psychologist we have a process like what does it take to have you know multiple wins a year being in the mix so that's to my practice regimen, my mental game, um, kind of. And also, like, one of my goals, you know, I don't hit it the furthest. So, but my goal is to get my swing speed to 100 miles an hour, which is a lofty goal, but uh, you got to set your goals high. So, just, and how I do that is sticking with my workout regimen because, I mean, a few extra yards goes a long way, especially out there. You can get to par five and two or have, a nine iron instead of a seven iron makes a big difference. So just uh, little things like that, um, but just kind of taking it kind of week by week and kind of just kind of in the middle of the season, see where I'm at and go from there. Well, that's the sounds like it's pretty good goals. Don't forget, you got one of the best short games in golf. And that will make up for a lot of uh, yeah, yeah. If I had your I, short game, I wouldn't be talking on podcast and on TV. I'd still be playing. But that's, right. Uh, that's, yeah. that's for another day. But if I could putt like you, it would be, uh, be a lot of fun. But we appreciate you spending some time with us. And I kind of like to end it on this is whether life or golf, you may have only one shot and you got to make it count and you're making it count. We appreciate you spending some time with us. And uh, I look forward to seeing you out at ANA. I'll be out there calling the golf and uh, – Really play some good golf so I can sneak out there and follow you. All right. Sounds good. Yeah, that's one of my goals is, uh, you know, being contention at a major because I haven't done that before. So I'd love to you, do that. I'd love to see you out there and uh, hopefully even the Solheim Cup. But uh, I'm not going to let you say roll tide at the end, but if you want okay. to, go ahead and finish it. Go ahead and say it. <laughs> All right. Roll tide. <laughs> that a girl. All right. Appreciate it, Cheyenne. Thanks for Thanks, being with Jim. us. Thanks, Jim. See ya. All right. Bye-bye.